Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, it's Lon Sybin and I'm back from PAX East and I'm continuing my uh, release of videos that I did while I was there. This is a big video game exposition that takes place in Boston every year. It's great for us in the Northeast to get some uh, love from the video game industry and this is a great show to get some of that. Uh, now what I did when I was out there was of course look for all my hardware and technology stuff that I usually cover on the channel. I don't do a lot of video game coverage though unless there's a game that I'm really excited about. Uh, so I'll leave the, the coverage of the games to other channels. I'm sure many of you are already watching those channels because they will do a much better job of uh, covering all the latest and greatest than I will. But uh, what I wanted to do is find out some of the things that are impacting developers in the industry and how uh, the rise of the internet and all these new platforms like Steam and GOG are making it easier for small development houses and in some cases individual developers to reach huge audiences and actually be competitive against the big Goliaths in the industry. So what we're going to have over the next three videos are three different interviews with different developers who are doing different things in the gaming industry. So the first one you're going to hear from uh, is Steven Alexander from Infamous Games, and he is uh, basically recreating the point-and-click genre. We're going to hear some really interesting perspectives here uh, over the next three videos. I hope you'll enjoy them. Uh, do watch them all, because it's kind of interesting just to hear how everybody comes at uh, these problems of developing games and finding an audience. So without further ado, here is Steven Alexander. Well, this is Steven Alexander, and he is the proprietor of Infamous Games, and uh, they are bringing back a game genre that uh, I really loved as a kid, as did Steven. Tell me about what you guys do. Uh, we make uh, classic uh, point-and-click adventures, you know, in the vein of uh, Sierra and LucasArts, the games that we grew up playing. And what's funny about this is that back in the day when we were children, um, we're, we're both probably pushing about 40, give or take. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, this was the AAA game title. Oh. Every, everybody made yeah, these were these these were the games. You used to wait to go down to Babbage's and go buy these games at full price, you know. And now it's it, they've they've gone away from, from the major commercial makers, but now we're seeing a comeback here, and you're making new games in this genre, right? Yeah, there's lots of uh, smaller independent developers that are making games in this genre. You know, we're just one of them. There's uh, Wajidai Games by uh, Dave Gilbert, which publishes a lot of great games, and uh, some of the, some of the greats are coming back and. Uh, publishing new adventure games. Uh, space Venture from the two guys from Andromeda who did the Space Quest series comes to mind. Thimbleweed Park by Ron Gilbert. So we're just lucky to be part of it, and we're glad that people still like these games and want to play them. And so tell me about some of the challenges, because you're, you're coming to this pretty much fresh, because you and I were both children playing these games when we were kids. So, so how hard was it to find an audience for this? What did you have to do to get uh, your games out there in front of people? It was, uh, you know, it was a long journey. We actually started out doing uh, free remakes of games that we liked. We remade King's Quest Three in 2006, and then 2011 we remade Space Quest Two, and those were available for free from our previous group called Infamous Adventures. And at that point, we had a lot of fans, and we were like, "Well, we have some uh, original ideas. Let's make some of our own games." So that's where we are now. And, 
and, and the rest is kind of histories. Absolutely. What are some of the challenges? Because it's it's a lot, I, you know, it's not easy to make a game, but it's easy to make a game, uh, and everybody can get their games out there in the market. How do you market yourself as an independent game maker? Well, that's the, that's the tough part. You know, marketing this, it's a very niche product, so you, you have to try to find the people who like these games. It goes it involves a lot of finding forums in those small out of the way places on the net. But there's people out there. You just have to find them. You know, it's um you know, it's not like with other other genres where you can also have a lot of fans just come to you. But uh, people are very excited though when they find us. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from people that are like, oh you you reminded me of my childhood. This is great. I'm so glad people are making new games like this. So we're very fortunate. A lot of guerrilla marketing to kind of get it. Very much so. You know, a lot of social media. We have a, we have a good presence on Twitter and uh, on Facebook. But we also uh, visit lots of forums, and we have uh, lots of friends that way. A lot of word of mouth. Tell me about your latest games that you're developing now. Well, the latest games that we're working on is an anthology series called The Order of the Thorn. It takes place in a fantasy world with magic and might and everything. The interesting thing about this uh, series is an anthology is there's four different chapters to it, as we call it, but each game has a different protagonist, and they all come and converge to tell one story about this mythical land called Uir and uh, everything that happens in it. We released the first part of that game, The King's Challenge, in January. So it's a multi-episodic kind of thing? We're working on the second part right now, which is called Fortress of Fire. And is this available on all platforms, or what's available on? It's, uh, it's available on all platforms. Uh, you can get it uh, at Steam and GOG, etc., uh, any place like that. How hard is it to break into some of those, those, those websites like Steam and GOG? Because they don't take everybody, right? They do have some editorial control over what they accept. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I spent a lot of years making inroads with people, and, uh, you know, uh, we're very lucky. Uh, people liked what we did with our remakes, and uh, I gained a lot of friends in the industry that way. And, uh, you know, you'd be surprised at what being nice will get you. Uh, be polite, you know, and, and be polite, be persistent, and don't give up. And that's part of it, right, is just, just to keep trying and keep working at it. Oh, yeah, you don't give up. You know, that's the problem. There's a lot of people out there that want to make adventure games, but when they hit that hump during development, they give up. Where we've succeeded is because we've persevered. We've, we've pushed through that. And that's what you have to do. You have to push through. You have to persevere. Tell me a little bit about some of these people that you that we, you and I both kind of idolized as kids who were making these games. Uh, as we mentioned, that, that, that genre from a commercial AAA standpoint has kind of withered away a little bit. Now these, these rock star point-and-click game developers are coming back independently, and you have now more experience in the industry than they do. So tell me a little bit about what you've been interacting with some of these other, other folks. You know, I found that most of uh, the heroes that we've had from the adventure game community are very down-to-earth people, very smart, and, and very fun. We've had some good interactions with them over the years. Uh, Scott Murphy, uh, co-designer of Space Quest, he was a real mentor to us in, in the early days. Uh, when we funded our first game on Kickstarter in 2012, we all had a, we had a live Skype chat with him, and he just gave us so much advice, and he was so encouraging. He said, it's just really nice to see a bunch of good guys like you going out there and making these games like I did. So, I mean, we're very fortunate. In many ways, it's kind of the, it, it, the old is new again because this is how many game developers got started, not by being in some big company, but they were developing something. They used to sell discs in little, little plastic bags. Ziploc bags, yeah. You know, I mean, we're the, we're the handmade, homemade approach. I mean, these games are made how Roberta Williams basically made her games. I sat around planning it around my kitchen table 
And, uh, but now the kitchen table has expanded because my partners are from all around the world and we use Skype you know, to communicate. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table in New York talking with my partner in Australia, planning a game, you know, and, and other people that I work with are from like Great Britain and South Africa and uh, in Australia. It's just amazing. So the overhead's a lot lower now than it would, would be for the, even the Ken Williamses of the world back in the day. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we, since we mostly work remotely from the office, you know, we do most of the work at home. So, you know, I mean, it's uh, we're lucky that the tools that are available to game makers today are affordable, and uh, you can make you can make games that would have cost millions 20 years ago for a for a fraction of the budget on your kitchen table, no less. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So it's really great to see see that you're really succeeding here and having fun doing it, which is really awesome. Are you seeing a lot of younger people now getting into this genre who never experienced it before? Yeah, you know, and I, they really like it. Kids, you know, that have discovered this, they find something a little different, maybe a little more cerebral. You know, there's lots, it's puzzle oriented. And uh, you, there's also uh, a lot of them uh, appreciate the retro kind of graphics that we have. We, you know, use traditional low res graphics on some of our games. And uh, as a style, there's people out there that really like this. They're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And, you know, uh, back when you had the limitations on what kind of graphics you could make, you had to get creative in how you represented, you know, things on screen. So that's a challenge too with our artists. And I really enjoy that. Excellent. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. This is really fun to talk and just uh, see that this genre is finally coming back because there's been no loss of demand, I think, from us aging gamers. But you know, you, uh, We have the best fans, really. We get emails from all over the world. People just love our games, and I love making them for them. I love working with the people that I do, and we're just very fortunate that people still want to play these games. Hopefully you'll keep making them, and thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Sybin, and this is part two of our three-part series interviewing some game developers at PAX East, which just wrapped up in Boston. Uh, you're about to hear from Al Bickham, who is with Creative Assembly, and they're the folks behind Total War Warhammer, a new AAA title that is coming out very shortly. So our uh, previous interview was with an independent developer. Al is with a big studio developer that's getting their game published by Sega. So let's hear what his perspectives on the industry are. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and we're here at PAX East in the Sega booth. I'm here with Al Pickham, and he's got a new game coming out, and we've been talking to a lot of independent developers, so now we're going to talk to a larger studio just to kind of get a feel for uh, what it's like in the game industry right now. So what do you have coming out? So we're working on Total War Warhammer, which is, um, uh, Total War series is a long-running, we've been going for about 16, 17 years now, uh, making massive grand strategy games based in various periods in history. Um, now we've uh, we've come together with Games Workshop um, a few years ago. We signed a contract with them to work on a Total War game based in the world of Warhammer Fantasy Battles, which is, as you may know, a, a massive, you know, 30-year-old uh, uh, phenomenon of tabletop gaming. It's a fantasy world where players come together and they build and paint little armies of miniatures and do battle on the tabletop. And it's just an awesome fit for, war, uh, for, for Total War because the systems just go together so beautifully. So now we're making, rather than... You know, previously we've made loads of historically based strategy games. We're making one based in the Warhammer world. So it's it's all the good stuff that people like about the Total War games with ma with magicians and monsters and flying creatures, and you know that crazy fantasy backdrop that Warhammer brings. So uh, it's really exciting. The stands full. Everyone's playing and having a great time. So yeah, watching people come in, there's a line out the door for this thing. 
And it's, it's amazing too, just uh, you know, looking at it, how cool it looks, and how big of a team does it take to make a game like this? Um, I think on the Taylor Water Team, so as a studio, there's around 420 of us now. We've got a bunch of teams. We've got a console team also working on Halo Wars 2 right now. Um, and yeah, we've got a we've got a mobile team. We've got um, a game working a, a team working on Total Arena, which is like a, a 10v10 multiplayer um, head-to-head battle game based based on the Total War battle system, um, but only much kind of lightweight and fast-paced. Um, and but for something like Total War Warhammer, I think there's about 150 of us, 160 of us, been working for the last three three and a half years on it. So we're out May 24th. So. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a big undertaking. It must be exciting to finally get to the end after three years of development to have it finally ready to ship. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's really nice to be able to come to shows like this as well. Ask people what they think of it when they've been playing it, and you know, ask you know, see see what their kind of opinion is of how the system's changed since the last game and things like that. So, so yeah, it's 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 great to be able to come out here and actually see your game out in the wild being played by people and, and, see, and you know, f- hear their experiences about it. To watch their faces, I'm sure, is really... Totally, totally. yeah, yeah. Now, tell me about just, just, you know, three years of development time is a long time. Hardware changes a lot. How do you, how do you determine how to target the hardware when you get to the end of the process? So, it, it, it does change. It doesn't change as much as you might think. It's, you know, we know, we know that in, you start a project, you know that in three years' time, you're going to have more powerful graphics cards, you're going to have faster processors, probably faster memory as well. All that stuff will improve and change over time. And the game the game evolves as you as you're developing it. You know, you, you at the outset you have uh, you you have a bunch of things you want to do, right? So you go actually we didn't really like our particle system from the previous game, so we're going to do a new implementation of that. So we take that out of the engine and we build a new system that Generates particles, but you know, in a, in a more in a more visually attractive way, or a more effective way, or a more or a, a less resource-heavy way. For example, you know, there's a number of reasons why you might change your features as you, as you develop a game. Um, and then we and then you know, during develop, we 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 see what's coming up ahead, and we start supporting it. You know, so it's just a case of evolving the engine as you as you develop the product. So, um, and then you know, taking advantage of new platforms as they come along. So. And the good thing it seems like there's a lot of synergy now of, of platforms that they tend to run on similar chips. It's it's a little bit easier to port, right? Yeah, very much. Um, I mean, we you know between because the, we don't we don't have to port to console, for example, because we're PC only. So you know the plan is to have Linux and Mac versions later on as well. Um, but the, you know at launch we'll just be PC. But one of the one of the big jobs we have to do is compact testing, which is you know compatibility testing, which is we have a we have a compact team that tests the, the game with every graphics card going every processor going and you know various combinations of those and different memory sizes and all that and it's a big job right because if the game's got to run it's if you if you know if you've got like a console everybody has the same console and everybody had gets it gets pushed exactly the same operating system updates everybody's machines are the same with pcs you know there's, there's just so many millions of configurations of hardware and software out there, different operating systems, different versions of Windows, different graphics cards, different memories, processors, you know. So Very challenging. Just have to, it is challenging, yeah, and we just have to keep testing. We just have to keep testing and making sure we haven't got any problems on specific graphics cards and things like that. So, yeah, if, uh, if our compact team is at home watching right now, I'd say hats off, guys. You're doing a great job. So you know, <laughs> if it doesn't work, you're going to hear about it. So, how important is the gaming community, YouTube and Twitch and everything else, to game development now? V- vastly important because um, that's our audience. You know, that's the, they're the guys who are going to be playing. They represent 
you know, the, the, the many more millions of people who actually play the games, right? And they listen to what their readers are saying. So, so they're very important to us. Um, and we, you know, we work with a lot of um, guys in the run-up to launch. Not, not, not simply, um, you know, not simply because we want to just promote the game, but also because we get an incredible level of community feedback, you know, and the developers can use that. Developers can look at that and go, and go, okay, we're moving in the right direction with this. Maybe we need to nudge things over here a little bit. So, so you know, it's it's really, really useful for the overall development of the game to, to you know, to to get to get community feedback, and it's often, you know, YouTubers and the community themselves. I mean, we we, you know, we we chat to the Total War subreddit. We've got our own forums. There's various other Total War websites out there with big active forums of people who are very passionate about the game and very interested and want to know the details. So. We've got a large community team, and those guys get in there and we chat, and we, we you know, we, we, we give information where we can. Sometimes we can't give information, you know, on forums because it's like it might not be decided yet, or it's still in development. We don't quite know how that piece is going to come out, so, you know, we might not know that for six months. So there's certain things that we we wouldn't talk about. So, and then by the end, you know, by this point, we're quite close to launch. So, we're we're you know we're talk, talking we're showing a lot of the game. We're talking a lot about the game at the moment, but yeah, we're quite we're quite. Um, quite active in on you know in the community scene as a, as a developer i think i guess after it comes out you're just as busy now monitoring the community making sure there's things that need to get fixed or whatever has to happen so so i would imagine the post release is as intense as the run up to the pre release every bit as intense every bit as intense yeah um, because you do you do a, a, you know a hell of a lot of testing before launch with with a hell of a lot of people with numerous you know qa departments and things like that but you put your game out into the wild, and then suddenly you've got way, 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 way more people than you could ever employ to actually test it. So you know, it's it's you know it's great because we get instant feedback. We get instant feedback about what people think about the game as well. So you know, um, but yeah, it's it's always a big day launch day. It's always a big day. It's like now. So the game is out May twenty fourth. May twenty fourth. Yeah. And where can people find it? Uh, in stores. You know, in stores on the on 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 the high street in malls. Um, you know, on various online retailers as well. So all the usual suspects you go to to buy a PC game. You know, people like Steam. So yeah, YouTube, yeah, pretty much everywhere. Get your downloads ready. Well, thank you very much for your time. Hey, no worries. You're Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and this is the last of a series of three interviews I did at PAX East over the weekend, the big video game exposition. And uh, what I wanted to do while I was there is talk to game developers who are coming at the industry from different perspectives. So we had in our first interview, Steve Alexander with Infamous Games, who is an indie developer uh, developing some cool point and click adventures and has found an audience for his titles. And it's really cool because he got started very recently from scratch and he's really building up a pretty cool company uh, with people all over the world just using modern platforms like Steam and GOG to distribute his games. That was a fun discussion. We also heard from Al Bickham from Creative Assembly. Uh, they are a big AAA development studio working on Total War Warhammer, which is about to be published by Sega. A couple hundred people working on that game, a very different perspective from Al. And then we also are going to hear right now from Ron Gilbert, who is an industry veteran who's coming full circle. So he started as an independent developer back in the days of the Commodore 64 and the Apple II. Uh, he then you know, got into the gaming industry in its infancy as it was growing, uh, and now he's back developing independent games once again with his new game, Thimbleweed Park, which just got successfully funded on Kickstarter. So now we're going to hear from Ron and hear about how the industry has changed and some of his uh, thoughts on where it is going. So let's take it away and hear what he has to say. 
Hey everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and we are back at PAX East, and I'm here with Ron Gilbert, who's got a great new game. Now, Ron is um, kind of somebody I grew up with, even though it, it might creep you out for me to say. <laughs> That's a little weird. Yeah, but uh, he is uh, one of the developers of one of my favorite games from when I was a kid called uh, Maniac Mansion, and now he's back with another point-and-click adventure. And we've been talking with developers uh, throughout PAX East, just trying to figure out you know, where the indie game market is going. And Ron is somebody who started in uh, a time when point-and-clicks were kind of the AAA time idle and now they're coming back so why did this feel like the right time to launch a new game and tell us about Thimbleweed Park a little bit too yeah well I think you know I think there has been kind of this resurgence in adventure games and, and a lot of it I attribute to the you know the gaming market is growing and it's it's getting into a lot of different people and people like stories they like characters and I think adventure games really satisfy that with the people because they are they are about stories and about characters and what's this new game about it looks very similar to the games I've played in the past it's got you know it's got that retro look but some modern performance to it what, what's Thimbleweed Park like and what, what's it going to take players through yeah Thimbleweed Park it's the story of these two detectives, uh, Agent Ray and Reyes, that show up uh, because this body has been found in a river. And they're there to investigate what's going on. But the body is really just the tip of the iceberg of the weirdness that is going on in this town of Thimbleweed Park. And so as a player, you know, you start out controlling the two of them. You can switch between them, like in Maniac Mansion. Um, and as you meet different characters, like you meet Ransom the Crown or Dolores or, um, or Franklin, once you've met them, you can then control them. So you can eventually control five different characters, switch between them at any time you want, and play with whatever character you like the best. It's very neat, because that was a play mechanic that was kind of a Maniac Mansion, too, right? You could control different characters, so a similar kind of thing here, but expanded, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that was one of the one of the core things about Maniac Mansion, was that character switching. And, you know, it, we, we did it a little bit, but it's like we really wanted to really go after it with Thimbleweed Park and have the five different characters. There's, you know, six different endings to the game, you know, the different characters. So it was something we really liked about Maniac Mansion. You did a Kickstarter with this, probably a very different way to market a video game now than maybe when we were playing as younger people. Um, so what was that like? Yeah, Kickstarter's great, you know, because you can go kind of right out to the people that like the genre of game. And you can really, you know, uh, kind of go after their enthusiasm for what you're building. Uh, you know, and you're not beholden to some big publisher, you know, is putting unrealistic demands on you. You know, instead you're beholden to, you know, 10,000 people who are putting unrealistic demands. But they all love you and they want you to succeed, right? That's a difference. Yeah, they do. They do. It's, it's, and it's been great so far. You know, our backers have been absolutely wonderful. Uh, you know, we've had a great time uh, with the blog that we do. We do a blog that we update two or three times a week. And we have had a great time talking to them about the game and really showing them what the process of putting together a game like this is like. Why do you think uh, these point-and-click adventures have become popular again? It was a, there's been such a, 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 a loss of them over a very long period of time. I've been surprised it really hasn't been much up until the last year or so, maybe. Uh, what do you attribute that to? I don't know that I have an answer to that question. You know, I think it's just, it's just maybe it's just one of those things that it's, it's time is here again, you know, to, to have one of those. And what, what would you say as far as the audience that's now uh, backing this product? Are they older gamers, younger gamers, a mix of both? I think it's, it's a mix of both. You know, there's a lot of people back 
attacked the game because they were, you know, fans of the, you know, Monkey Island and Maniac Mansion. But I've also got a lot of backers who weren't even alive when Maniac Mansion came out. But, you know, they've heard a lot about the genre or maybe they got to play those games, you know, at some point much later on. And they really fell in love with them. So, you know, our backers are really across the board in terms of that stuff. Yeah, it looks great. It's really exciting to see that. How different is it to develop a point and click now in 2016 than it was back in the 80s? Uh, you know, it's a lot easier just because we have much better tools. You know, the tools that we had back then for doing art were very, very primitive. Now we have Photoshop, which is amazing. Uh, just being able to program and debug on machines is so much easier than it was back then. Um, you know, we also have 30 years of experience. I just, you know, what's it like to, you know, to, to schedule a game and budget a game and all of those things that has just made it a lot easier. And how's it now? Because I guess in the past, when gaming development was beginning, it was uh, a, an individual in a room with a plastic bag for the floppy disk, right? And then it became big companies. And what's it been like for you to go through all of that uh, and now coming back to starting from, from scratch again on your own? Yeah, you know, the, the whole industry has gone full full circle, right? When You know, when we made Maniac Mansion, there were three people on that project, right? Only three people. And now it's like, now you get really nice games that are made by one and two and three people again. It's like you don't, you know, you don't need this this giant, you know, $100 million project uh, to build a hit game. And a lot of games are made by a couple of people who are selling a million and a million and a half copies. So I think that's just wonderful because that is really how I like to make games. I like small teams of people where everybody can really share the vision and really feel involved. That whatever piece they're doing really matters because it's a small team of people. When's the game going to be available and how do you get it? Uh, the game will be out uh, either in October or January, one of those two dates, uh, and it'll be available online. You know, get it through Steam or GOG or you know any of the digital services. It'll also be out on Xbox One and iOS and Android and probably some other platforms as well. Wow, so if you got a device, it's going to play this game. That's a lot different than it used to be, too. Yeah, your toaster will play this game. Right, excellent. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Matt. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it, three different perspectives on the gaming industry, but what was really interesting was to hear how uh, the distribution platforms are really making it easier for everybody, the AAA studios all the way down to the indie developers, uh, because there's really no cost of distribution anymore, which I think for a lot of independent developers uh, was a big barrier uh, to getting your games out there. So back in the early days of the Apple II and the Commodore, you used to have to you know, copy discs and put them in little baggies and mail them to uh, game stores around the country, and there was a real risk on the part of the shop owner and the game developer as to whether or not these games would sell. Uh, now we've got platforms that will take care of that distribution for the developers. So they don't really have to uh, budget anything to get the game out to people. They have to price it, of course, because the, the platform takes a cut. But there's no you know, duplication cost. There's no trucks to deliver things. It's really made life a lot easier. It's very similar to what YouTube has done because uh, I can make a video here at my house and upload it to YouTube for free. And that is a big change from having to make tapes and send it to TV stations and hope they'd air it, which would never happen before in the past either. So we're seeing uh, a tremendous uh, change now in, in so many different areas. And the gaming industry uh, is certainly one of those areas that uh, is being changed, I think, for the better because we're seeing some awesome games that are uh, getting in the hands of people that probably never would have been able to in the past. And I'm thinking about games like Rocket League and the upcoming No Man's Sky, uh, two titles that are developed by small teams that are finding huge audiences out there. And this has been a really exciting time to be a game player, but also also a game developer. This is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. Do let me know what you thought of this series and if I should continue doing things like this at the other uh, places that I visit from time to time throughout the year. Thanks for watching.